This is the Detection at Scale podcast, a new show designed to help security practitioners succeed at managing and responding to threats at a modern cloud scale. As the volume of data increases and the attack surface expands, it's never been more important to stay ahead of the curve. Each episode will feature interviews with leading security practitioners, thought leaders, and company founders who are building the next generation of security tools. I'm your host, Jack Naglieri, founder and CEO of Panther Labs. Now let's get into today's show. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Detection at Scale podcast. Today, I'm here with Omer Singer, the head of cybersecurity strategy at Snowflake, the data cloud company. Omer also led Snowflake's data-driven security engineering program before taking ownership of the company's cybersecurity business and ecosystem. And prior to Snowflake, Omer was the VP of security operations at a global security services provider and also served as a cyber intelligence officer. Omer, welcome to the show. Hey, Jack. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Of course. Happy Monday also. Yeah. So I'd love to start with just talking a little bit about your introduction into information security. So how did you get started? So I got my start in cybersecurity back in college. I was at USC. I was doing computer engineering. And I always knew that I wanted to do something in computers, but I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't really see myself as a programmer. And USC was kind of early to spot the potential in cybersecurity. Like we're talking 2004, 2005. This was like before cybersecurity went as mainstream as it is today. But kudos to them. They saw that this would be big. And I, I just fell in love with it, right? This focus on how do you break a system? How do you think about things that the creator of the system didn't think about? And then kind of using that, that's kind of the win. And, and that was a lot of fun in the courses there. The final exam was like, defend your server, hack into the other team's server, right? A lot of Metasploit, a lot of Venmap, simpler time back then. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And my professor in one of the courses had a cybersecurity consulting company. And he was from the hacking scene, right? This was back when there was a hacking scene and there was a crew. And so he had gotten his start with some serious hackers back in the day. And so that was just cool to be a part of. And he let me kind of tag along. And we started doing penetration testing. We'd go to businesses. And this was back when we needed to convince companies that they should actually care about security. And the way we did it was we would give them kind of a free, you know, with their approval, pen test. We'd hack them in a day and, uh, and then present to them, hey, guys, this is what we found. You know, we're just sitting in the lobby. This is what we got. Now we can help you to protect yourselves. And usually the answer was like, okay, yeah, I guess, I guess this makes sense. Let's do it. And, and that was great. That was how I got my start kind of with that attacker's perspective. And uh, I never left. Been in the industry uh, since then. That's an awesome story. I think that the way that I got my start was also similar to yours where you were in school studying cybersecurity. It was the same with me at, at George Mason University. They had a security program. And then I ended up getting an internship at a company called VeriSign. That's kind of how I broke in broke into cybersecurity, not like, <laughs> not like attacking. <laughs> but the thing I wanted to hone in on a little is it's interesting you started with red teaming and penetration testing and things like that. How did you make the flip into doing defense and detection and things like that? At that security services company where we had started with these pen testing engagements, at the end of these engagements, we'd print out this that binder of recommendations and we'd hand it over to the customer and say, okay, here are all the security gaps and, and good luck and you know, call us if you need us. And that didn't really work for the customers because they were like, well, actually, it seems like you guys are the experts and we need your help day to day. It's hard, right? Cybersecurity is a really hard thing. I think people don't appreciate how difficult it is, how asymmetric 
It is, right? The huge advantage that the attackers have. And so what we did was we started offering SOC type services. And so it was at that company, kind of my role transitioned from consultant that was doing red team pen test stuff to more of a 24 by 7 operational kind of role, where now we're collecting logs from the firewalls and from the agents. We started with Kaspersky agents back in the day. They were doing a, a good job and we'd get all these, you know, the endpoint logs. We try to marry it with what we're seeing on the network and come up with ways to not just tell the customers about problems and, and security holes, but that, okay, here there's somebody actually trying to take advantage of it. And that was the transition. I'll tell you though, when I saw how much of an advantage the attackers had, that's what kind of inspired me to go and join the military service in Israel, where I'm from originally. I spent four years there just having a blast. You know, when you put on a uniform, you're allowed to do things that you're not allowed to do otherwise. And it's just a lot more fun to be on the offensive side because you have such an advantage, right? You just need to be right once. And you might spend six months or you might spend a year. You're working with some, like a talented group of individuals. You have that time. Eventually you get in. And that was a lot of fun, but it's also scary, right? And kind of coming then to, to my role at Snowflake, where here's a company that stores the most sensitive data for thousands of enterprises and cannot, must not ever get breached. How do you reconcile that with what you know, I saw on the attacker side? I know that you've given a team enough time, they'll eventually get in anywhere. A company like Snowflake, and we're not the only ones, right? There's a lot of companies that really have a, need to have a zero tolerance for breaches. It is tough to kind of wrap your head around this, uh, this challenging reality that everybody's dealing with. Mm-hmm. It's great you bring Snowflake up. I was just going to kind of take the conversation there, but how did Snowflake really change your perspective about how you think about defense? Because that's a much different environment than you were previously dealing with at the services provider and likely in the military. So different. And this is what I hope people take away from this is that there is a better alternative out there than the traditional, I want to say, search-oriented approach, right? Anybody that's been in threat detection for a while hopefully knows what I mean when I say like a search-oriented approach for detection where it's like, okay, I'm going to look for something very specific and I know exactly how to describe it. I'm going to look for it every minute, every 15 minutes, every hour in my data. And then I'm going to try to act when I find it. Like that approach just does not work very well because there are so many different TTPs out there. And so the idea of bringing analytics and moving from a search approach to more analytics approach, that was a game changer for me. Going to Snowflake, I didn't really know what data warehousing was. I didn't really know what big data was, but I knew that I wanted to get into it. And and my previous role, we built a SIM type of thing for our secure operation on Elasticsearch technology. Again, very kind of search oriented. Then joining Snowflake and seeing what internally and what our customers are doing with a true analytics approach. You have the power of SQL and you kind of have the data telling you things that you didn't even know to ask for. And that was really impactful. And then also just the scale and this idea that you can be collecting terabytes a day, storing petabytes a day, and still be able to do interesting things with it. Huge eye-opener for me. And I think a lot of people in cybersecurity should take a look at what's happening in the data space because there's a lot of really exciting technology that, uh, that is very relevant for the practice of threat detection and response and not enough kind of teams take advantage of it. And I'll tell you, for me, from the beginning, when I was kind of at Snowflake, I said, look, this is going to be great for us, for our security program, but this has bigger implications. And I was very motivated to kind of learn as much as I can on the security engineering side in kind of applying this stuff for protecting Snowflake, but then take it broad, right? Take it across the industry. Mm-hmm. 
And interestingly, in that time that you likely joined Snowflake, there's just kind of this general rise in SaaS, right? If you think about like the early 2010s, a lot of it was based on a lot of things like Elasticsearch, as you mentioned, just because there really wasn't great alternatives. And even Elasticsearch itself has been more introducing for the first time this SaaS-based service. And that's changed a lot of things for security teams because like that's the shift that I saw as well when we went from these bigger monolithic companies, because I'd worked at Yahoo, to a company like Airbnb. And then it's like that shift, even in those company foundations, went from on-prem servers and things like that to fully using AWS. I think Snowflake exemplifies that shift perfectly, because like you mentioned, people are dealing with petabytes of data at rest, terabytes of data in per day, and they need a way of searching it. And SaaS is making that actually approachable for security teams. The thing I'm really, really curious about is Snowflake's whole core business is obviously taking in data, storing data, making it accessible for teams. When did they start their security journey? So Snowflake from the beginning took security very seriously. I think the founders knew that if Snowflake wasn't secure, nobody would would use it for interesting use cases. And so from the engineering from the beginning, the fact that everything was always encrypted in transit and at rest and uh, multi-key hierarchy for encryption, the fact that there's never any access that is unauthenticated in any kind of situation, right? So that's from a product security perspective. I joined in 2018 when the company was about to go through kind of this inflection from becoming a startup to being a large multi-cloud kind of major enterprise product. And that's where the monitoring story and threat detection story really started to take shape. And we went from having a bunch of security tools that didn't really kind of meet in the middle. Each one was kind of doing its own thing. There was the endpoints, there was the cloud security, there was the SaaS security, and then there was kind of our compliance automation, right? Other things, and everything was kind of in its own silo. And then it was our job as security engineering to create that 360 and to use it to do something interesting. And we had to do it. I mean, if you think about the fast growth where I joined, we were 300 people. You know, today, fast forward a few years, we're, I don't know, over 3,000 people. On all three of the major clouds, we went from just AWS to being on Azure and GCP and just doubling year over year consistently. Yeah, that's hard. It puts a lot of burden, I think, on the security team. And an interesting thing is, even back then, when I started in 2018, we were getting too many alerts. Back then, right? When we were such a small company. And now we're such a larger company and I think we're getting less alerts than we were back then, right? right? Why? Because of how we approach it, right? Because we're saying, okay, what do we need to do in order to have high fidelity? And whether it's in terms of context, in terms of logic, in terms of tooling, whatever we need so that we can scale this thing and you're either scaling or not. And, and I would also say like for anybody kind of listening and, and kind of thinking about how this applies to them, just think about the trade-offs that you're making, right? Because we talked about kind of the, previous technologies. And and yeah, we used to have to say, okay, guys, if we want to kind of keep scaling this thing, we need to reduce our retention because our clusters are going to fall over if we don't take it down from, let's say, 90 days to 30 days or whatever it was, you know, back then in my previous role. All sorts of trade-offs. And what can we bring? What can't we bring? The exciting thing with the SaaS situation and and this data platform, this this data cloud situation is we can move past all those limitations and now just we're just limited by our creativity. And that's that's an exciting new place for security teams to be at. Yeah, that's such an incredible journey too to be there and watch it 10x, especially since you know you built a lot of those foundations. It's really, it's really awesome to see those things scale and actually to see certain things break and not scale, and then you you adjust and you learn, right? Like that's how you totally. get better. Totally, totally. I'll tell you by the way, what didn't scale. I just gotta say, because you said like what didn't scale. The homegrown tooling is where you really have a hard time 
because it's easy to start projects. It's always kind of fun and exciting at the beginning. You have your first commit in your GitHub and you start seeing some rules firing and, hey, this is really happening. And then it's like two years later, now you're maintaining a bunch of spaghetti code. Maybe some of the original developers have left and now you have to do this and that. And you have a long line of people waiting to add new sources and add this and add that. And all of a sudden it's like, well, well, damn, I got a day job. You know, I also got to do the actual detection work and I'm trying to maintain tooling. So, you know, here I, I want to give a shout out to the Panther team. We, we do love working with them. And we had initially built our own rules engine in order to do this stuff. And I know other customers have done it as well. And, and it's just so exciting to see where the industry is going to where there are some really great fundamental building blocks out there that you can use that are, that are backed by vendors. So, so congrats to you and the team for making that happen. We've really enjoyed working with you as well, Omer, and the whole Snowflake <laughs> team. I want to hone in a little bit on something that you said. So you mentioned around this idea of, you know, what do we need to do in order to retain high fidelity alerting? What's a high fidelity system to you and, and how do you really approach building one? Yeah, this is a topic I, I feel really strongly about because I, I feel like so much of the security conversations that happen, I talk to a lot of security teams kind of day in, day out. A lot of it is around just, okay, what sources can we bring in? How much data can we bring in? And it's a, like very much about kind of the hoarder's mentality, where really, I think if you actually come at it from the attacker's perspective, right? What is the attacker trying to do? The attacker is trying to act on objectives and they're going to take the shortest route there and you can have great kind of collection coverage and not catch those attacks, right? So for me, high fidelity is around looking in the right places, asking the right questions and being able to actually act on the answers to those questions. If you're getting 2000 alerts a day, you know that you're not there, right? Because there's no way that you're reviewing that. And then you start saying, well, I'll just look at the criticals or the highs. Well, how confident are you in that prioritization, right? In that severity system, like you shouldn't be too confident in that. So for me, yeah, high fidelity is just, it's having low false positives, low false negatives and measuring it, right? How do you measure that? Well, measuring false positives is pretty easy. Measuring false negatives harder, but still doable. And that's why we would do quarterly drills, for example, and simulate attacks and bring in some, you know, we did ourselves, others, we would pay professional kind of pen test teams to go in and emulate the adversaries, pretend like get some level of access. Here's a laptop for somebody in cloud engineering. Now you have that access, you have the keys that they have, et cetera. How far can you get? And how long will it take us to detect that? And we tracked every action that they took in the environment and everything that we should have detected that we didn't, we flagged that as a false negative. And that's important to act on. And yeah, constantly refine it, figure out what additional data sets do you need to bring in in order to detect something that you didn't detect, right? And that that context and asking the right questions, that's what's going to get you that fidelity situation. Yeah. And the thing I think a lot about is if you don't have detection rules for a certain behavior and you identify these false negatives after the fact, it actually, you get a ton of value of having an amazing way of querying data in the past, right? Because if you're saying, oh, well, this happened, but six months ago and your sims only got like one month of data retention, you're not really going to be able to, to get high quality data in order to build a better detection role in the future. Totally. And by the way, and by the way, you know, that's a great point because you should also be able to say, hey, this new rule that I've written, how many false positives do I get on average a week from this specific new rule? Because if it's a great rule, but it adds 100 false positives a week, probably you can't afford that rule, right? And you need to tweak it more. You need to bring in some more context in order to, to reduce the noise. Now, if you do have that 12 months of data ready to query, you can write a test, right? That will simulate 
imagine if you had that rule and against all that data, and then you'll know exactly how noisy or not noisy it is. You can even automatically reject that rule, right? Before it's pushed to production, because, hey, all the data that we have indicates that this rule is going to be noisy as hell. So go back and think about it some more, right? That's the kind of engineering mindset that I think is crucial in getting this right. Yeah, absolutely. I really love the approach to of being very strategic around data that's coming in. When you're starting from scratch, like what's some advice you'd give people for just laying out like how to even build that strategy? Yeah, so a few things. I think one is start based on what you know about your organization. You must threat model, right? And do design. Don't start collecting data right away. Don't rush to that implementation phase before you've done your homework and done design, just like as if you were building a new piece of software or anything else, right? Building a house or anything you're building, right? You're building a detection program. You need to put thought into the design of it. And design should be around crown jewels, should be around TTPs, use cases, right? Specific use cases, and then, and then to support those use cases, what source to bring in. And then don't start from scratch. There's a lot, a lot of great kind of available integration code out there that you can probably leverage at this point to bring in data sets. And that's something that I think is pretty new, right? Because we've had open source integrations for on-prem sources for a few years now, right? Logstash project was great at that. But what we're seeing now is that there are also great open source SaaS integrations as well. And so yeah, I'd say also leverage either your vendors or code where you can avoid trying to build these things. Because again, then you're getting into the kind of, you're committed to maintaining it. And these things do change, they do break, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about the journey from scale. So you said 300 to 3000. I can only imagine the amount of new data that got generated in that time. So how did the security program and all the automation and all the systems you had built, how did it really scale through that transition? Yeah, I mean, definitely just an explosion in data volumes. I mean, the data volumes were growing much faster than the employee count, that's for sure. And here's where I got to give a plug for Snowflake Data Cloud, right? The fact that we, from the get-go, said we're going to collect all of the different data that we care about as a security team into Snowflake meant that we didn't need to worry about running out of room or needing to pick and choose which data sets. Like, that was never an issue. I think it's hard to grasp until you really kind of look at the specifics, how cost-effective this approach is and how just scalable it is and not needing to kind of maintain it, et cetera. So that was a big deal. And then building on a strong foundation, that was really helpful. But then the complexity also grew a lot. And I'll tell you, nobody has 10 years of experience in threat modeling on Kubernetes, right? Nobody, because it didn't exist back then. And yet we run a bunch of Kubernetes now. So how do we account for that? And how many experts are really out there on Azure security, right? That's GCP security, the, the cloud security expertise, which is limited, is heavily skewed to AWS. And yet we're multi-cloud and everybody's going multi-cloud now. So I think this is hard for everyone. And we were where we can we get technologies off the shelf. And this is where kind of my role today is also a lot around kind of making sure that there is an ecosystem and that cybersecurity vendors do recognize that, hey, this is the security data lake architecture is a big deal. This is the direction of the industry. Let's support it. And that's been really helpful because we don't have to build all of the integrations and the detection content and stuff ourselves. We can kind of just focus on the maybe 20% that is very unique to us. That's a perfect segue into what I wanted to talk about. I really wanted to learn from you about why you made that switch from internal security to supporting the cybersecurity business strategy at Snowflake. Yeah, and this is one of the things that I'm really grateful for and, and feel very fortunate to be able to have kind of gone through this because I was always on the 
security side of things, whether it was offensive or defensive, like I was in the trenches and for the last year and a half, I've, I've been for the first time in a product role that's also heavily geared to go to market and marketing. And I don't want to say selling because it's not like I have a quota, but helping sales teams. Yeah. I mean, I'm working with a lot of Snowflake customers that are trying to figure out their security data like strategy. And it's a very different kind of role, but it's it's a lot of fun. I sleep better at night, right? I don't get those 4 a.m. pager duty alerts saying uh, there's some high severity in- incident. Go check it out, which is nice. And it was almost forced on me. You know, this wasn't obvious to me, but what I was doing was I was doing the internal security for Snowflake and just telling our customers about it. A lot of uh, times Snowflake customers want to hear that we're taking security seriously before they can trust us with their data, which makes sense. And then we would say like, hey, we're going to be transparent with you. Here's how we do it. Here's how we establish visibility. Here's how we measure visibility. Here's how we identify visibility gaps automatically. Here's how we identify TTPs. Here's how we respond. We, we just show them everything. And a lot of times customers, I mean, this is not going to be a surprise to you, they're struggling with SIM on their side, right? So here we're showing a CISO how we approach threat detection response. And the CISO is thinking like, hey, this is pretty neat. Actually, I have the same problems. This is something that we can talk about. And I found that I was spending more and more of my time just working with customers. And then at some point, kind of my boss came to me and said, look, you're doing a good job here. You're doing a good job there. You got to pick one. These are both kind of important jobs to do. You can't do both. And I'm just so passionate about security data lakes and the future, like the impact that they're going to have on the future of the industry that I made the switch. And I mean, the security program at that point had grown and some really smart individuals leading all the different areas. So I felt like I was leaving it in good hands and made the leap. And it's it's been a lot of fun. That's awesome. I actually didn't know a lot of that. That was, uh, that was a great background. Same, glad, glad we get to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Snowflake and, and other things like Amazon as well, like AWS just as a whole, and other SaaS companies that are popping up are really beneficial for security teams in a lot of ways. And like you're saying, Snowflake allows us to really not even think about scale. And as you mentioned, when you went from 300 to 3000, it just kind of works. And that's the mentality that is going to make security teams successful in even having the ability to run a program like this. Like when we're using automation and we're using really highly technical processes, we really just want to focus on the security portion of it and not the ops version of it, right? And that's kind of where we're all shifted and that's where we're all headed. And so to me, when a CISO looking into Snowflake, Snowflake's a very hyper-modern company, right? Like you're very data-oriented, you're very SaaS-oriented, and like that is a very new shift in security. So I can totally understand why a CISO would look at Snowflake and be like, well, you have that much data in there and you didn't do any of the work. Or like you did like, you know, the data work, but you're not doing any ops work. Like, that's incredible. Like, I want that. Right. There are different types of work. I think this is like, if you're totally. thinking about metrics, right. And how to think about an understanding of where you're at, where you want to be as in terms of security program. One of the interesting metrics might be to try to ballpark what portion of the time your security analysts and security engineers are actually spending doing cybersecurity work, right. Around Everything that would kind of fall under MITRE attack or, or NIST CSF, as opposed to everything else around DevOps type work and IT type work and everything that's outside. And I think, unfortunately for us as an industry, given you know the famous skills shortage and all that stuff, a lot of time today spent on everything but security. And so, yeah, I think it's not like we're going to automate people out of a job. It's that we get people to focus on doing their actual job right. instead of all this stuff just to, to enable it. Exactly. I fully agree. So when you made the shift into 
leading Snowflake cybersecurity business, like what was really the first objective there? Like, how did you establish things? I mean, there was a lot of trial and error. And the objective is just like, hey, we have probably 99% of Snowflake customers today don't use Snowflake as their home for security data. And the objective is to flip that ratio. I think that this is relevant to everybody. All of our customers care about their security. And I think Snowflake as a security data lake, as a foundation for the security program is relevant to all of them. But yeah, but we needed to figure out how to go about doing it. And so the big thing was to see who can we partner with? Because Snowflake itself is not a cybersecurity company. And we don't pretend to be one. And we think that so much of cybersecurity is a big data problem that we just need to focus on that. And so Snowflake, we added indexing, we added Java and Scala, we're adding Python. Like these are great capabilities for a security program to have, but they're at the data platform level. What about everything else? What about the integrations? What about the ability to define the attacks you care about, detect them and take action on them? Or to have an investigation capability that is going to feel natural to somebody coming from a more traditional security tooling, right? That's where it was all about finding the right partners. And yeah, that's where, you know, you and I uh, connected. I reached out on LinkedIn because I'm like, hey, I'm seeing what you guys are doing. This is cool stuff. And it seems like this would be a great combination. Um, it, yeah, it so, totally is. Yeah, that's where I started. And, and I think we have a ton of work to do in the, in the like the SIM XDR security analytics platform space. And the idea is once we have this single source of truth, it's going to be relevant for a lot of other areas as well within cybersecurity. So now I'm also thinking about identity and access management, for example, as an area where we can use this single source of truth to automate now other areas. So it's really never ending. We're always kind of going to be, I think, expanding what we can do with this data platform, but it's going to continue to be partner driven in, in the way that it has been. Yeah. In a lot of ways, I feel like we're kind of going through this security renaissance in a way, you know, for the first time, this generation of companies in, in tooling is very purpose-built and very analytical for security. And in the past, it hasn't been that way. It was the log analytics companies or it was the ops companies that saw like, oh, our customers are using this for security, let's do security. But I think when the companies are built for a certain purpose, they ultimately achieve that vision in a very different way. So I think Snowflake's a great example. Like if you compared Snowflake to Amazon, it's like Snowflake's whole job, like their whole mission is to just be a data cloud company. And they're going to build solutions and they're going to hire a team fully for that mission. And I think ultimately those companies have better outcomes. I think this next wave of cybersecurity companies is the same way. They're like, we're just going to solve this segment of the security problem and we're going to do it in a way that is scalable, that's based on SaaS, and we're going to hire a whole team just to solve this problem. And in a lot of ways, Snowflake and Panther's missions are very similar, where we want to help security teams operate at scale and be future-proofed. Like you mentioned, data is exploding. It's always going to continue to explode and it's going to exponentially increase. So it really feels like we're kind of in the beginning still, and we're still building a strong foundation for really the next five to 10 years. Totally, totally. I think, you know, we, in one sense, it's a big vision. In the other sense, it's also kind of a, a humble vision. And, you know, as Snowflake, you know, for us to focus on just being a platform and not try to solve all the problems right. and then enabling companies in, in cybersecurity to focus problems deeply and solve them well, right? And not leave a bunch of work to the customers to do stuff that they don't want to do. I almost look at it kind of like if you think about kind of the evolution of the phones where you used to buy like a Nokia phone and Nokia had to build all your apps. And then like a lot of those apps were pretty basic and not great. And if you look at the diversity of apps now that you have on your iPhone, 
so many different companies solving so many different problems in a, in a really deep way because they know that they have this underlying platform that they can run on. So this is going to open things up. It's a very exciting time. I totally agree. And if anybody's listening to this, that's kind of starting out their security journey or thinking about how they could break into the industry, I would say get on this new wave, which is about data-driven cybersecurity and check out what's been successful in other kind of applications of data analytics and learn that, right? Learn SQL, learn ETL, learn BI, learn DBT, right? I'm throwing a lot of acronyms out there, but if this is where you're at in your career, go Google those, see how big of an impact they've had in areas like marketing analytics. And that's coming for cybersecurity. And you're going to be very valuable to a lot of employers that are looking for somebody that knows both some cybersecurity and some data analytics skills. And if you have both of those, wow, wow, you've, uh, you're, you're a real catch, I think, in the cybersecurity industry that, that we're building up. Absolutely. So to end, I want to just ask, in your opinion, to succeed at detection at scale for the future, what are three pieces of actionable advice that you'd give anybody listening in? Okay, so I just gave one, right, which is around the data analytics skills. I think that's a great kind of foundational ability to have. The second one is to learn the perspective of the attacker. So study the famous breaches, get some pen testing, and work somehow. And maybe you can even volunteer for some nonprofits or something like Like If you can find a way to really get the adversary's perspective, that's really valuable. And then join communities. There's a lot of great Slack groups out there. There's a lot of great debates happening on LinkedIn and, and other places and learn kind of what really is happening right now, what's hard for people. And I think that'll point you in the right direction. So um, those are all things you could do. And the nice thing is this is far from being a solved problem, right? I think on the contrary, I think there's a real fire kind of situation, right? Five alarm fire, all hands on deck kind of situation. And anybody that is motivated and willing to learn those skills I mentioned, I think is going to find a, a very rewarding time solving very real problems. Absolutely agreed. And Omer, thanks so much for taking the time today to chat with me. This was an awesome conversation. Yeah, my pleasure, Jack. It's always fun to talk and let's do it again soon. Absolutely. Thanks. All right, take care. Thank you for listening to the Detection at Scale podcast brought to you by Panther Labs. For access to the latest episodes, please visit our website at www.runpanther.io forward slash podcast. And for those interested in running Panther, head to our website, runpanther.io to sign up for a free trial. You'll get a dedicated instance with the ability to analyze your security logs in real time at any scale powered by detections as code and sending into a very robust security data lake. Our goal is to make detection and response easy, scalable, and fast for you, the practitioner. Thanks. See you again next time.